Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into the task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Now, like I said earlier, to cultivate something is to to grow it, to nurture it, to prepare it, to bear fruit, um, to prepare the land for something that's going to come from it. Um, To nurture a relationship would be to cultivate a relationship, to prepare it for something or or, or other. Um, And what's interesting about that is that there is an end goal in mind. That's where I really want to make sure we walk out hearing something that I may sound like a broken record this morning, and I do not apologize for that. Because I feel like if we grasp this and wrestle with this and struggle with this, that it will change the way we view the disciplines that we are called to as Christ followers. I really do. And, and, and I, want to, I want to challenge you with this very simply is you and I are called to cultivate the soil of our heart. Now, there is something that is amazing about the gospel. And I want you to read these scriptures that, that I, want to, I want to share with you because First and foremost, I I want you to understand that a new heart is only possible through Jesus Christ. A new heart is only possible through the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sin. That is the only way it is possible. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing, and these are the words that he's saying. He says, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back To God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, here's the mystery part to me about this is that very clearly Scripture says that in Christ 
When we would turn and confess and give our hearts to the Lord and say, God, I trust and depend completely on the finished work of Christ, it says that we are made new. We are given this new life through Christ. But the Bible also says that we are becoming new as well, which is very interesting. This is into the scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So there's a, there's a, you are made new through trusting the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, but you are also being made new at the same time. See, you and I both know that when we turn and, and trust Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you, our flesh is still here. That sin that we struggled with is still around. Those desires that we have for the old things, they're still present. Those attitudes that we have, they still show up. The anger that maybe you displayed before is still present. And so in the midst of all of that, somehow the Lord has a desire that you and I journey towards Christ-likeness. That is to be the result, the end goal of a Christ follower. I don't care what you say, according to Scripture, the Lord is taking us on a journey from looking like sinful, wretched enemies of God to an encounter with Christ, bringing us into the presence of a holy God, and now He is in the process of transforming us to look more like Jesus. That is a mystery to me. That he would desire anything, I mean, that, that, that we could even come close to that. And what I, and I don't want you to hear this morning is that I'm saying it's time for you to start working hard because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Christ has already done the work. He has finished it. But physical training is good for a little bit. But spiritual training has benefits in this life and in the life to come. Now, I want you to see, and I have a couple different versions of 1 Timothy 4, 7, but I want you to see how the translations kind of vary this phrasing. 1 Timothy 4, 7 in the New, New uh, International says, train yourself to be godly. In the New Living Translation, it says, spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. The message version says, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. The New American Standard says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, I'm just going to let you in on a little bit of how I think, and it's, it may be weird and you may be freaked out by it later, but, but either way, when I see the word godliness, for some reason, the only thing that comes to my head is shiny. I don't understand why the shininess shows up in my brain. I'm not sure where that comes from or how it pops in there. And so sometimes to see the phrase godliness, I don't necessarily get that sometimes. I mean, I see God is holy in the Old Testament. I see he's holy in the New Testament. I see that. I wrestle with that. But maybe for you, the transition will come kind of the way it did for me. And I feel perfectly okay saying that a direct synonym for godliness is Christ-likeness. 
And where do I get that? I get that from scripture. It says that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He says, it also says that he is the exact representation of the glory of God. So godliness and Christ-likeness are direct synonyms to each other. And so for you, maybe that's something that you can kind of go, oh, okay, so discipline myself for the purpose of Christ-likeness. So the purpose of, is not the discipline. The purpose is Christ-likeness. How many guitar players do we have in here? Any, anybody willing to raise their hand and say, I'm a guitar player? All right, how many of you have been playing for less than a year? Anybody in here? Just, you kind of just started? Okay. Zoe, you just, you, okay. All right, so Zoe's been playing guitar for a little bit. Let's go back to the very first day that you picked up a guitar. And let's say I'm your guitar teacher. Let's say we sit down in your living room and I'm like, all right, Zoe, here's the plan. I want you to practice the guitar. I want you to, I mean, if you want to get good, you just need to practice guitar. That's just what comes with practicing. You get a little better. And she's like, oh, yes, guitar, that's awesome. I'm going to practice. I'm going to bleed. My fingers are going to get my blood all over my guitar. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be super cool. And I'm going to be just rocking out eventually. Two weeks after our first practice, that whole excitement about the guitar is kind of weird. It's kind of waning a little bit. It's kind of, my fingers hurt. My friends, they're outside playing soccer. and I can see them, and I'm longing to be out there instead of playing the guitar. They're sitting they're outside on the slip and slide. Man, come on, seriously, they know I'm practicing and they're doing that. And you just start, your desires are changing. You're like, oh, I just want to go outside and play. And, but then I show up, just bing, here I am. <laughs> Zoe, I'm the ghost of guitar playing future. You'll be visited by three ghosts tonight. No, I'm just kidding, it's just me. So um, you're going to come with me and I want to show you something. And so I kind of do my bing and we end up on the orange peel stage. And it is a packed house. There are no room, everyone is standing room only, and all the looks on the face of the people in the room are because the person on the stage is just destroying that guitar. Fire! You know, you pick the guitar back up, and you just start killing it. You just start destroying the guitar. But everyone has paid to come and see this person play the guitar, and they are blown away by it. And Zoe's over here going... And I'm like, come on, Zoe, let's go. We're, we're leaving now. And she's like, no, I want to see him finish the set. No, we're going. I, I'm the one in charge of this. You come with me. And so we end up back in her house. We're sitting in the living room. And I say, Zoe, did you like what you saw? Did you like what you saw? She's like, yes, that was amazing. And I tell her, Zoe, that was you. In five years, that is going to be you. Do you think her desire and her discipline when it comes to practice would change if she saw the end result? Do you think that it would keep her focused and fixed on where she was headed as a guitar player a little more because she knew the end result? I think she would. I don't think I'd have to tell her, hey, practice anymore. I'd be like, hey, can you stop practicing for a little bit? Let's just, you know, go outside and play soccer or something. You got no life now. You're a weird musician. Lock yourself in rooms and don't come out for days do weird stuff. But I totally think that her view on practice and the discipline of training herself in the craft of playing the guitar would completely change if she knew the end result. And sadly, most Christ followers, when it comes to the disciplines that the Lord has given us, have forgotten the end result. You have no idea how many people I have had to apologize because the church has failed at thinking about the end result in their disciplines. Christ-likeness has not been our goal as a church in the United States. Why do you think so many people hate it? 
They look at it and they see nothing but hate and hate speech, judgment, and all these different things because we have forgotten that the purpose is not to to yell and to do all these things. The purpose is Christ-likeness. And if I could just say one thing when it comes to being Christ-like, I'm not asking you to form an opinion about who Christ is. I'm asking you to sit in the Word of God and allow Him to form His view about Himself in your brain. Because we live in a city that loves to talk about Jesus. Man, he was a hippie picking lilies. That's what he was. He's so awesome, man. We love Jesus. But don't talk to them about being the Son of God, being the Messiah. So I'm not asking you to form this false view of Jesus in your brain of what you want him to be. I'm asking you to consider sitting in front of the Word of God and going, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? Because that is what I, my goal as a Christ follower is to be like Christ. And if you don't know what Christ looks like, how can you be like him? How can you aim to love like him? How can, and I'm not asking you to buy sandals and buy a robe and grow a beard and walk around like this. Because this is all Jesus did, right? This is how he walked around. He didn't have, he couldn't hug people because this is how he walked around. Right? It's not what I'm asking you to consider. I'm asking you to consider the heart of Christ, the character of Christ, the way he loved the Father's will more than anything in the world. To consider that. If the church was to sit in that and go, my end goal for sitting in the word of God, for praying, for singing the songs of faith, for serving, for giving, for silence, for fasting, for solitude, for all the different disciplines that the Lord has given us, the end goal is Christ-likeness. And why the reminder and who we're becoming? It's because if we get that, the disciplines that the Lord has given us to be a part of don't seem like drudgery. And my best definition that I can give you for drudgery is very simply my son. Zeke is two and a half years old and Zeke is forming a will of his own and he is being his own little man and, and, and I ask him to clean up. I'm like, I, it's not too much for a dad to expect his son to clean up his mess. I mean, he takes his bucket of toys, dumps it out and then puts it down and then walks off. And I'm like, whoa, 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 no, no. Let's put the toys away. Now, my son takes this stuff called Kinder Music and his teacher, she has this amazing song. And I take him to Kinder Music and I've seen, I've seen the power of this Kinder Music lady. She goes, toys away, time to put the toys away. And Zeke, he does it. I mean, he puts other kids' toys away. He's like, oh, okay, uh, you need your toys put away, I'm going to put these toys away. So dad, being like, hey, I've seen it work. Toys away, Zeke, toys away. Where are you going? Why are you leaving? I asked you to clean the toys up. Why am I cleaning up your toys? You know, I mean, it doesn't work for me. But what's interesting about Zeke, and, and this is where the definition of drudgery comes in, is he very simply does this. I mean, he's got toys sitting out. He's like, I don't want to clean up. I don't want to clean up. I'm tired of it. I don't want to clean up. And he whines and he cries. He's not not doing what I asked him to do. He's doing it. But he's letting me know he's not happy. And what I see in Christ followers when we forget the end goal is Christ-likeness is drudgery when it comes to the disciplines. The reading of the word of God, the spending of time in prayer, the service attitude, the, the giving, all of that stuff is not the goal. The goal is Christ-likeness. 
And all of those things that the Lord has given us are vehicles, are tools to get us to that end result, are to get us to the end goal. So reading the Word of God and sitting in it and allowing Him to transform our minds and our hearts, it's a vehicle to get us to Christ-likeness. It's not, reading the Bible is not the goal, but what we've done in Christendom is we've said, oh, if I read my Bible seven days a week, I can put a star next to my name when I get to church. Or if I can, I've got to pray, you know, but I really don't want to, but somebody's going to ask me if I prayed, so I better pray. When I come to church on Sunday morning, it's, I've got to do this. God, I could be doing something else, but I'm going to read. I'm going to do it because I have to. But when you keep that end goal in mind, the discipline has direction. And I think that is the key that for most of us, we have forgotten. We have forgotten that the disciplines are taking us somewhere. And that taking us somewhere is ultimately the end goal that God has for every single one of us is that we would look like his son. Now, what's amazing about this is when I played basketball in high school, my sophomore year, like the goal that I had was not to get up at 530 and kill myself and run until I threw up and lift weights and shoot 100 free throws and before I could go to class and then shoot 1,000 free throws at home out in the cold in the pouring rain. My goal was none of those things. My goal was to be the next Michael Jordan. Now, I failed miserably at that, but the reason I kept getting up was not so that I could be the best practice player at my high school or not even so that I could be the best player on my team. My goal was Michael Jordan-ness. That was my goal. And it gave purpose to everything I did. So the times when I was like, coach, how is jumping up and kicking myself in the rear end going to help me? How is jumping over a box going to help me? The end goal was Michael Jordan-ness. Now, like I said, I, you know, failed miserably at it, but it kept me going. You know? And I think for some of us, our discipline seems like drudgery because we've forgotten the purpose. We've forgotten the direction and it is Christ's likeness. And why do, we, why do I feel like we're needing the reminder is because the church isn't doing it. <laughs> Christ's likeness hasn't been our goal. Our goal has been how big can we build things? How, how many people can we have at stuff? What numbers can we throw in a book and let people know about what we're doing? The goal has not been Christ's likeness. And if you're someone in here who has experienced that kind of church, I apologize. Because Christ's likeness is the end result of a Christ follower's life. Now, we're not perfect, and we make mistakes. And I hope we would be quick to ask for forgiveness. But a Christ follower's life goal is not to be good. It's not how many times a day or how many times a week can I read my Bible? How many times can I pray? The goal is Christ-likeness. And the disciplines that the Lord has given us are vehicles to that. You know, um, what's interesting about the whole discipline thing is we like to think, and I don't know where this came from, we like to think that the spiritual growth just happens, kind of. Think about that in any other area of life. Logically, that makes absolutely no sense. You say you want to get stronger, 
but you don't do anything about it, you're not going to get stronger. You're going to go into atrophy and your muscles are going to get smaller. Or you're going to get bigger somewhere else, you know? The goal of discipline, I think we, we like it in other things, but don't tell me spiritually that I have to be disciplined. Don't you tell me that I need to do anything to cultivate and grow my relationship with the Lord. I just like to let it happen. Come on. Seriously? I will tell you this. The Lord can use circumstances and people that are out of our control to cause us to grow. And he will. He will do that. He will use things that are out of our control to cause us to grow. But I will also tell you this. I do not know one Christ follower who has been following Jesus for any amount of time who will tell you that they accidentally grew spiritually. I don't know how it happened. It just did. Come on. Seriously. It doesn't happen that way. But the ones that I do know that have been following the Lord for years upon years upon years and the growth that has come from their life and they will tell you it is because of their discipline. Now, do they get it right all the time? No. Are they concerned about, you know, all the different things that are going on in the world? Yeah, there are things that cause us to worry and we struggle and we fear, but it is the discipline with the end in mind that Christ-likeness is the goal. And the crazy thing about spiritual discipline is that we do have a choice in it. We do have a choice to be spiritually disciplined. I mean, we're all disciplining ourselves for something. A lot of teenagers I know discipline themselves in the ways of Xbox. A lot of grown-ups I know discipline themselves in the way of making money. A lot of people I know discipline themselves in running and, you know, being able to run farther and faster. The goal is not the running. The goal is to be faster and you can run longer. Weightlifting. The goal is not weightlifting. The goal is to get stronger or, to or tone. All of the different things that we put discipline into. But the one thing we will neglect is that, is that one thing that will benefit us both in this life and the life to come. 1 Timothy 4.8 Physical training is good. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. The crazy thing about spiritual discipline is it causes this growth in you that sometimes is so very subtle. But in the end, it's like, where did that come from? How did that happen? That's not how I usually respond. And it's crazy because last night I feel like the Lord, he continues to do this. I don't know why he does, but he keeps bringing back to mind Karate Kid. Maybe it's because I watched it like 8,000 times as a kid and it's all I see is, you know, you know, Ralph Macchio, a 35-year-old playing a 17-year-old, whatever it is. I'm not sure what it is. But I see Ralph Macchio and Mr. Miyagi in this struggle all the time. And spiritual growth can be so subtle sometimes, but it's shocking when you recognize it. And the scene that always comes to mind when I think of it is when Daniel... He's on this ladder and it's dark and it's late at night and he's painting Mr. Miyagi's house a new color and he's having to do side to side because Mr. Miyagi left him a note. Um, I would encourage you all from Memorial Day weekend, just go watch the movie. It's a great movie anyways. Um, but he left him a note and he's painting and Daniel's kind of like, you know, and, and Mr. Miyagi shows up and he's got his fishing pole and his, you know, his, you know, his, his uh, tackle box and he's like, oh, Mr. Spot. And Daniel's, Daniel's like, what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Where, where have you been all day? He's like, gone fishing. And Daniel's like, did you ever think that I might want to go fishing? And Mr. Miyagi's like, you're not here when I leave. And so Daniel's like, what? Are you kidding me? And so he just unloads on Mr. Miyagi because it's been four days 
of what seems like slave work for him. I mean, he has just been sanding the floor and wax on, wax off and paint the fence, paint the house. And he's furious. And he's like, I have had it. I'm done with this. And Mr. Miyagi's like, as he's walking, he's like, not everything appears as it is, you know. And Daniel's like, yeah, whatever, I'm out of here. And he turns to walk away. Mr. Miyagi's like, Daniel-san, show me sand the floor. Daniel's like, whatever, you know, my shoulder hurts. And then he does the, you know, famous thing. We're like, what are you doing? Ah, ah, you know, and fixes his shoulder. I, I don't know how this fixes everything, but it does. Just so we're clear. But he's like, Daniel-san, show me sand the floor. And Danielson's like, and he's like, no, 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 stand up, stand up, stand up. And Danielson's like, you know, Mr. Maggie's like, ah, da, 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 da. Sand the floor. Huh. Now, show me wax on, wax off. And Daniel's like, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And he's like, no, 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 no. Wax on, wax off. And he's like, hey, show me paint the fence. He's like, mm-hmm. he's like, no, 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 no. Up, down, up, down. And he goes through the motion and he shows him all of them. And then Mr. Miyagi gets really intense. And he stares at him. He's like, yeah. and he just throws this barrage of punches and kicks for a small, tiny Japanese man that I've never seen before. He's like, oh, and, and Daniel, because of the skills that Mr. Miyagi has been teaching him, blocks all of the punches and all the kicks. And he's just like, you see it on Daniel's face afterwards. He's like, what just happened there? And Miyagi kind of goes, and Daniel bows. These are the last words from Mr. Miyagi. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> and he walks off. When it comes to the disciplines and the daily practice of the disciplines or however we're able to practice these things, The change can be so subtle, but it is so shocking. The results that the Holy Spirit has in the life of a person who says, I will submit myself to your ways. I will submit myself to the cross. I will sit in it and allow you to transform my mind, to change the way I'm thinking, and to grow me, and to pursue me, and to push me. And guys, it is subtle. It is a daily thing. It is a moment-by-moment decision to say, I will submit myself to the Christ of the Bible, of the Word of God, not to some idea you might have, not to some grandiose thought you might have of who Jesus should be, but to who he says he is himself. That's the invitation. And guys, discipline is tough. It is really hard, but Tom Landry, whether you like the Cowboys or not, you can't ignore the fact that he was a great coach. He very simply says this. He says, a football coach's job is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. What a great thought. A coach breaks you, works you, shuts you down, but when you get that ring, you're like... I'm a, I'm a champion. You know, like Jazz said, a lot of people, that's their goal. Physical training is good, but spiritual training has benefits in this life and the life to come. Now, as Nate and the guys come to close us up, I did want to share with you very simply one more thing. 
This whole idea of soil change and cultivating the heart and changing it and allowing the Lord and what role do we play in the spiritual disciplines versus allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us within those disciplines and all those questions, they're there. Yeah, I get that. But Paul, in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, and I want you to catch this because this, I think, is a beautiful invitation. He says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then, get this, others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If you're hearing that and you're reading that and going, so basically what Paul is saying is that by the transformation that happens in my life, a result will be people will go, I can do that too. You're right. Somebody can look at a disciplined Christ follower's life and go, I know what your life was like before. (laughs) And if you can do it, I can do it. What an incredible invitation. The depth of a spiritual disciplines of a Christ follower's life will cause others to understand that they too can believe on the name of Christ and be transformed into his likeness. Just in case you haven't figured it out, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Cultivating the soil of our heart, preparing it to bear fruit under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that lives in us because of the newness that he has created, because of the blood that was shed, because he has made you and I new. Those spiritual disciplines are encounters where his spirit is able to shape and change and mold and convict and transform us to look more like him. The goal of a Christ follower is not good church attendance. The goal of a Christ follower is not to be the biggest giver. The goal of a Christ follower is not to pray every day. The goal of a Christ follower is not to come to church and sing songs. The goal of a Christ follower is not to serve on every mission trip that you possibly can. The goal of a Christ follower is not to walk around in silence. The goal of a Christ follower is not to wear a Christian t-shirt, Christian bracelet, Christian shoes, Christian backpack, Christian hat. The goal of a Christ follower is to look like Christ. And if that is not what we're about, then don't call yourself a Christ follower. Call yourself a churchgoer. Just be honest. The goal of a Christ follower is to look like Jesus. And he amazingly does that in us. If we will just bend our knee, say, you are Lord. And the results according to scripture, is that people will see you as a prime example of the grace given to the worst of sinners. It's kind of humbling. (laughs) It's very humbling, actually. We're going to go into a time together as the body where we remember what Jesus did on the cross through, uh, through breaking bread together. And in a moment, you're going to see some families around this room with a plate of bread, with a cracker bread, and with a cup of juice. And that bread represents the body of Christ. 
And that cup represents the blood of Christ. And as a Christ follower, when I take that, according to Scripture, what it says is, I proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. I am saying that what Christ did on the cross finished it. What Christ did on the cross did something that I cannot do on my own. It made a way to a holy God that I could not make on my own. So when we take that bread and dip it in the juice, it does not save us. It is not what gives us forgiveness of sin, but it is a reminder of what he on the cross already finished. And that's our goal. Christ-likeness. When you remember that, the disciplines have direction. Very simply. And so parents, we want to ask you and invite you to teach your children what this is like what this is for, what this is about, why you're doing it. And for those of you in this room who may not consider yourself Christ followers, you're more than welcome to just observe what's going on. But if the Lord has worked faith into your heart this morning, you're like, I need Jesus. I don't have all the answers figured out. I don't get it. But I know that I need the forgiveness of sin desperately. You're in good company because we all do. So when your heart is prepared and you're ready, you're more than welcome to go to any of the corners of this room and take the bread, dip it in the juice, and remember what Christ accomplished on the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life that you gave us this morning, that we're here, that Jesus, we are breathing, we're sitting in here, we have a gift from you in life. I pray in this moment, Lord, that you would be honored and you would be glorified as we remember what Jesus finished on the cross and that we would let all of the stuff that we're trying to do to get to you die. And that the end result of Christ-likeness would break us because we know it's impossible without you. Jesus, thank you for finishing it.